Welcome, Blues, to episode 10 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. As usual, I always mention you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now also on Google Play. We have our own blog site at boltfromtheblue.live, so feel free to check that out. On today's pod, as usual, I'm joined by City fan legend Walter Smith. Walter, how's it going? I'm very well indeed. I can safely say that summer is well and truly over in Manchester. But we've got some exciting football to look forward to. Well, Walter, we're stuck in this international break. Luckily, it's nearly over. How do you feel about having an international break after four games of the season? To be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of international football. I don't tend to watch and I don't even know, believe it or not, the score. From, I know England played last night and I don't even know what score it was. They won 1-0. Walker provided the assist with a great cross in for the goal. You see, I was out at a concert, so <laughs> it's just the furthest thing from my mind. I just have no interest in it at all. I know they've set up this new league and it does sound like an improvement than the ever-ending friendlies. But even still, it just doesn't hold my attention or sway. I'm Manchester City first, second, third and last. Yeah, I know, Walter. I'm exactly the same. I haven't had a real interest in following England since the days of Paul Gascoigne. I don't know if you're the same, but I think it's something that happened when sort of the, the end of Gaza's career there was just no magic in the England team anymore. Um, there was obviously the days of Beckham and Owen, but it was a bit overhyped. And I don't know, it's something about Man City fans. We seem not to be too invested in the fortunes of the national team. Well, as you know, I wasn't born in England, so I don't follow England. They're just another team for me. And I've always been the same. They've never gripped me attention. <laughs> I have no opinions whatsoever on the England team. Someone out there will be hopping up and down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of us are the same. And, uh, you know, the only sort of interest really is uh, the performances of Man City players in an England shirt, if at all. But anyway, moving on, Walter, I think the first thing that we want to do is what a lot of people are doing in this break is we're just taking stock, basically trying to have a little think and summarize about how the season has gone so far. How do you feel it's gone so far, Walter, after four games? I'm delighted with the start. I look at the table, I think we've got 10 points. Pep Guardiola's football just takes that little while to sort of shake the rustiness off and to get back into the groove. I don't think any team's going to get anywhere near 100 points this year because I think there's going to be a lot of players, to be honest, having their World Cup hangovers. There's going to be a lot of tired legs. And I predict a lot of injuries, you know, muscle strains, you know, after Christmas when the games start building up. And I think it's not just City, even though we had the most players, I'll repeat that, the most players at the World Cup, but I feel that all the top clubs, not just in England, around Europe, are going to struggle with having so many foreign international stars that did well and reached the latter stages of the World Cup in their starting eleven. As far as the seasons so far, I'm more than happy. Are you concerned, Walter, by the uh, impressive starts by any of our rivals? Nope. <laughs> I look at Liverpool, they finished 25 points behind us last year. Watford probably finished about 90 points behind us, <laughs> and Chelsea finished probably about 30 points behind us. From my opinion, we have the best squad of players going into this new season. It's going to be interesting. The team will find its feet, but when De Bruyne comes back as well, this is going to be a guy who's had his rest period and is going to be He's going to be sharp like a razor. You know, he's going to be cutting teams to bits left, right and centre. So... Am I concerned about the, the starts of other clubs? No. I think a one point that someone made on social media is the fact that although when you look at Chelsea and Liverpool particularly, their starting eleven is very impressive, it's very interesting to note that if any injuries occur to their main players, they just don't really have the backup. We have got almost a second 11 that could come in and could almost perform as well as the first 11. But with Liverpool, for example, you have any injuries to their front three, then they've basically got Shakiri and people like Lalana to back them up. The other teams don't really have the squad depth to compete with City. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, have a look at City's squad. I mean, we've got De Bruyne out, Sane's, but he's not figured yet in this season. The absolute depth of quality that we have is far superior to any of our rivals. 
unless there's major worries with you know injuries to us and just freakly to nobody else, I think teams will close the gap. I don't think we're going to finish 25 points ahead of Liverpool. But I saw how, how we dismantled Chelsea, you know, uh, right at the beginning of the season. And, you know, Liverpool do have a fantastic start in eleven, But they're our kryptonite. And they haven't got that consistency that it requires to become champions. So they will put hell for leather to beat us. But go and lose the next three games or have poor results with, you know, minnows. So... Klopp, don't get me wrong, I think he's an outstanding manager. I think he's fantastic. And I think he's a perfect fit for Liverpool as well. The problem with Klopp, or the problem for Klopp, is he's just run into a Guardiola machine. And this machine will just get slipper and slipper as the weeks go by. And he's got hold of these players now, week in, week out, day in, day out, and drilling them. And I think... Pep's been quite clever in the fact that he has rotated the team quite a bit, but I think that's to give certain players rest, and they need the rest because we didn't have anywhere near the pre-season that we should have had, and you know there was that many players of ours that went so deep in the World Cup, they were arriving back as the season started. So yeah, you know it's it's an exciting season, but it's more exciting if you're a Manchester City fan. Let's talk about a few of the players, Walter. Raheem Sterling pulled out of the England international friendlies with his supposed back injury. And this made a lot of us laugh because a lot of us felt, now, Raheem, you're you're basically taking this opportunity to get well rested. And with two pretty meaningless friendlies, we just don't believe that, that you've got a back injury. Looking at the pictures that came on Twitter about uh, their city's training sessions, he doesn't look too injured to me. What do you think, Walter? Do you think uh, that uh, Raheem has maybe lost his motivation for useless, friendly games? Well, every team has got the, the gigs card that they can play, haven't they? You know what I mean? In What's the gigs card? Oh, the gigs card. Ryan Giggs was never, ever fit for Wales. Oh, yeah. You know, Alex Ferguson just pulled out the gigs card every single time. You know, other managers just thinking along the same lines, I suppose, especially with Raheem Sterling arriving so late. And boy, has he started this season well. He looks a world-class player. And I don't care how he does for England because, you know, I look at him for England and I just see these Neanderthals absolutely baiting him at the game. And it's quite interesting when you're in the ground at City, he's got such a supportive environment. And not just the fans, he's got Guardiola. He's got a real supportive environment willing him to do well. And I think it reminded me of um, the bids and his, his dream to play for Real Madrid. He won't have that same environment at Real Madrid. If he's playing poorly or he does a miss like, Raheem Sterling can do an example against Burnley. These lads will be jumping up and down on his car and making his life an absolute misery. So I think Raheem Sterling for me, and I think City fans took to him so much because he went out on a limb to sign for us. He got the wrath of the Scouts Mafia, you know, on his back and every single pundit that's ever played for Liverpool was slating him. And I think the City fans at the time just sort of turned around and went, hang on a minute, he's one of ours. Back off. And have given him this supportive environment to do well. And, boy, is it paying off because he's just fantastic for us. He looks amazing. Well, Walter, some of the newspapers have focused a little bit on players, City players that haven't got even a start in the first four games. And one of the names that's been mentioned is Nicolas Otamendi. They're wondering about the great season that he had last season. Of course, you know that Nico was fantastic for about three quarters of of last season before sort of rotation came in. What do you think about Otamendi's chances of getting regular game time this season? I think he's going to struggle. and There's three reasons why he's going to struggle. Number one, John Stones. Number two, Laporte. Number three, Vincent Company. And he's going to struggle to get into that team. Uh, Laporte, for me, has been our best defender for these first few games. And Stones looks better playing with Laporte. And it's the whole left foot, right foot. 
and it's the calmness of the of the of the back four when he's slotted in there. Laporte's natural game and Stones' natural game is to get the ball down, it's to play it out, it's to head up, look, don't dive in, you know, jockey the players into whatever position you want them to be in, you know, to get them away from the goal. And Otamendi's first reaction is it's like an old-fashioned centre-half, an old-fashioned English centre-half, where you stick the head in, you know, and you, you get the slide tackling, you let the forward know that you're there. And he's not doing it as much, but that's still not part of his natural game not to do that. So, you know, he, he seems to be happy anyway. He's off with the uh, meme stars, isn't he, getting pictures. So, you know, he's had a nice break. <laughs> Another piece of good news for us is the return from injury of Danilo. And there are pictures of Danilo in training in the last few days. He's a bit of an enigma to me, Walter. I just, I haven't seen enough of him to really know too much yet, even after a season, about what he can do. How do you assess Danilo and what he can bring to City? Danilo's main job for City now has become to give Walker a break. Danilo's a big physical player. He's nowhere near as good as Walker. So he's very much playing second fiddle. And his job is to try and push Walker to get into that team so Walker can't drop his standards. And whenever Walker needs a break, because he's not really had a big break and he's gone to this international friendly, he's got to be there ready to show what he what his worth to Pep. He's got to be there saying, look, I am here. I can play well. Give me the chance. I'm going to keep pushing Walker. Right. Another issue, Walter, is that it seems to have been a bit of a baby boom for City players over the break. Ederson has announced uh, the impending arrival of a new baby boy. And guess what? Behind all those Leroy Sané headlines, it appears that there's been something going on in the background. His girlfriend is a lady called Candice Brook, and they've announced that they're having a baby. That might be a pretty good explanation for why Leroy's head hasn't been quite in the game. What do you think? Yeah, of course. I mean... As a father myself, it's an incredibly worrying time, an exciting time. I remember watching the All or Nothing documentary and Pep Guardiola's uh, absolute insistence. And he was talking about David Silva. And he couldn't sort of stress enough that, you know, family is the be-all and end-all. And football is something that evolves outside that bubble. So, Leroy, you know, his, his head's going to be all over the place. I remember Kevin De Bruyne having a bit of a dip when his uh, child was born because, you know, whether you're sleeping correctly or whether you're fully focused on the job at hand, I mean, it's all come good for Kevin De Bruyne. You know, you can only hope, Leroy San is only a young man and you're hoping that that side of things is going to work out absolutely brilliantly for him. So for, for us fans then, selfishly, we can hope he focuses back on the football and shows us the world-class talent that he is. He can focus on his football and get the Jets over. <laughs> Walter, there was a, a nice little piece on the BBC this morning here in Korea about Sergio Aguero. His fitness is the best in years after his knee operation in April. And here's a quote from Sergio this morning. During the past few years, I have felt pains at times. And when last season came to an end, we decided it would be best to start treatment. And the results were very positive. Dr. Kugat did amazing work with my knee. I'm not sure if this is the best start to a season so far, but it's the best I've felt in years, and it shows in my game. What do you think? I absolutely agree 100%. He looks razor. If it weren't for the white posts, especially against Wolves, you know, he'd have a couple more goals. His movement seems better, and he's dropping quicker. And he's tracking the players. He seems to be playing football freely. You can almost see a cloud being lifted. And this Aguero, who was fantastic anyway, just seems like laser beam sort of laser beam football is the only way I can describe it. You know, it's the movements are sharp. The, the, the way he strikes the ball just seems that little bit cleaner. Aguero's amazing, but a fully fit one. As I said in the previous podcast, the people that need to be worried the defenders who are listening to what Sergio's saying in the Premier League because they've had, thought they had problems in the past. <laughs> they
they're going to have problems coming up against him this season, you know, and that's just fantastic news for us. Somebody asked me on Twitter about what was my favourite Aguero goal, apart from the famous 93-21. Walter, there was a goal, I don't know if, I'm sure you'll remember this. Do you remember the goal that he scored against Liverpool, where he was way out on the right wing and he clipped in a, a ball that defied all mathematical logic and beat, I think it was Pepe Reina in the Liverpool goal. It was just one of those ones where you just can't imagine how he struck it in from that angle. Do you remember that one at all? Yeah, uh, he scored that many. It's a difficult question because often with Sergio Aguero's goals, you look at the importance of the goal. In many respects, well, City fans, I think, have become a little bit lazy judging Aguero, almost taking him for granted because he's so just unbelievably brilliant. There's not a, a number nine in the world I would have swapped him for. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. It was an amazing little conversation I had. Someone got back to me and countered with the goal that he scored. I think it was against Norwich, and it was the one where he got the back heel from Carlos Tevez, and he just blasted it into the roof of the net without even much of a backlift and without much time to react. It was a, it was an amazing goal, that one. But it's, it's great. He scored a few goals at Old Trafford, which are always good. I remember <laughs> one of my favourite ones. I remember the first night I took my daughter home from hospital, from hospital for the first time, and I sat down and we were playing at Old Trafford. So I stuck the telly on, rocked her to sleep, and it was the one, you'll remember it, where he just kept going and going and going and going. When he hit the ball, he did close-ups on Phil Jones' face. Yep. So, yeah, you know, there's been so many highlights with Sergio. Yeah, I remember that goal well. That was the uh, the start of all of those memes that you have of Phil Jones pulling his face where he looked like Baker from the Muppet Show, and that's one of the one of the ones I tweet out every time Manchester United lose. It always gets a good reaction. But let's move on to the next item of news that has come out here in the morning South Korean news. And uh, one thing that's headlining over here is that Ilkay Gundogan has rejected any notion of a move to Barcelona. Gundogan is in the paper saying that he is very, very happy at City. He knows about interest from other clubs, including Inter Milan, but he has got no reason to leave. He's happy in Manchester, and he is not interested in any of this transfer speculation. Happy with that? Well, I'd just like to say I'm also ruling myself out from going to Barcelona. Yeah, me just too. Just in well. case anybody's listening. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as people who listen to the podcast regularly will know, that I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gundogan. He's what I'd like to term a no-fuss player. You don't get any fuss, any nonsense. He turns up, he does his job. There's not a team, I don't think, in the Premier League he wouldn't get into. And the fact that he's prepared to sit on our bench and come off and play his part of, of our overall squad is just phenomenal. And when you've got the likes of De Bruyne or Silva or whoever, Fernandinho in the middle, who has to drop out, Gundogan is not nowhere near as good as those players. But we talked, spoke before about the Liverpool squad. The drop-off down to Gundogan is nowhere near as big as the drop-off from our main rivals would be if one of their players got injured and their sub comes on. So he performs a role that's vital for City because, let's get this right, when United were winning the league left, right and centre and winning Champions League, etc., they had some right cloggers playing for them, but they fulfilled the role. Phil Neville, you know what I mean? And um, I'm just trying to think, Johnny Evans, you know, these are players that played a part of an overall squad and you can't have 25 De Bruyne's, you know, because it simply doesn't fit. You need all types to make up a strong unit. Right. And Walter, our next game, the one that we've all been waiting for after this interminable international break, is a home game against Fulham. And I know it's impossible to predict what Pep's going to do or what lineup he's going to deploy. But uh, we are in control of what we'd like to see. Walter, what sort of a lineup would you like to see Pep using against Fulham? Oh, three words. Statement of intent. Fulham are a team that likes to come out and attack a little bit. So let's make the most of that. 
Edison in goal. People, I, I was listening to something the other day that was talking about the first name on the team sheet, and you know they were talking about you know De Bruyne's face, De Bruyne, or I heard that uh, too. Yeah, yeah, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they went down to about fifth. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. No one's mentioned Edison. Here. Exactly. Edison. Yeah. He's my. He's my. He's our number one. He's my number one. He's the first name on the team sheet for me. Okay. I'd go uh, Mendy. Did you see that cross for Mendy for Giroud to score? And he tweeted about it, didn't he, Walter? He said something like, "If you need a goal, you know, just call Mendy." And uh, d- that was a wonderful cross, wasn't it? I've never seen a footballer cross a ball like him. He does it at pace. It's like the quickest passes, accurate passes in the world. They just rifle in. And he's such a weapon. I mean, I was thinking, if I had to choose which player is going to get the most assists this season in the Premier League, and I don't know what the odds are because I don't do gambling, really. If I had to place a bet, I'd check out Mendy's odds and then I'd be looking at putting a bit of money on Mendy. He's just an assist king. So I'd have Mendy at left back. I'd have our silky two in the middle, Laporte and Stones. Mm-hmm. I'd go for Walker. Walker's a bit of a shoe-in because I don't know how what the fitness of Danilo is like, like. What you missed, Walter, is what I referred to earlier. I'd be happy to know that England did beat Switzerland 1-0. And the cross for England's goal was an absolute world-class cross from Kyle Walker so it seems and it seems he's learning from his from his buddy on the other side that should please people no end I guess right you can imagine the, the, if you have two, them coming in at both angles the pincer movement how do you defend against that you know it's one of them where as an opposition manager you scratch your head and you think well we'll stick 10 at the back and we'll try our best with crossing like that with that accuracy Especially as the game moves on, in the, you know, to the second half and the later stage when legs start to tire. You know, this is um, exciting times to be a blue mic. I'm telling you now. I'd go for silver. Which one? Both. That's interesting because I would love to see that. It hasn't happened so far, but I've been waiting to see silver D and silver B named in the middle of our midfield. It hasn't happened yet. You think there's a chance of it? Oh, it'd just be them two starting the game. It'd be like that Spider-Man picture where they point at each other, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> them two could just rip any defence apart, you know, and they've got an eye for a pass as well. Uh, they are different in many aspects, I think. Bernardo travels better with the ball, and I think David, he, again, he's just got the matrix vision of a, of a football pitch, you know, and he, he's looking at it from above, and everything else is in slow motion in his head compared to what he's actually doing. He always seems to have that upper hand. Start Sterling on the left. Yeah, he's, he's been very, very effective on the left. I mean, he, in my memory, he was always on the right last season. He certainly figured on the left quite a lot when he played for Liverpool. But now with these goals that he's capable of scoring when he cuts inside from the yeah. left, uh, that's a very good option for us to have, isn't it? Well, it is. And it's you've got him cutting in at the same time as you've got Mendy overlapping yeah you've got the options open up and as a defense you you've got your eyes on sterling and you can see him cutting in and you know what he can do next thing he shifts the ball out to mendy who bangs it across so sterling on the left i'm gonna go for mares on the right okay now that's an interesting one uh, walter because people have been concerned about his form you wouldn't you wouldn't be tempted to start with Leroy on the other side and give him a complete run out you're, you're going to keep no. faith with Mares. no I'd like uh, when a father has a baby they get a certain amount of time off work and Mares, you know people talk about Mares. I'll tell you an absolute true story I heard the same rumblings about David Silver at the same time he was too lightweight and he didn't hit the ground running. It took him a little while to sort of speed up and to sort of get to grasp with the English game. And I know Morris has played the English game, but Morris hasn't had a pre-season with the talented team he's got round him. He's had a pre-season with Leroy on one side, you know, and these kids have been given this opportunity, which is all fantastic. But Morris was playing, you know, he'd look up and there's no Aguero there. There's no Gabby Jesus there. And he's learning their game on the fly, on the run. And I have no concerns 
whatsoever. Walter, one of the guys on the, one of the other city pods w- was saying that the problem for Mares and what he's got to get used to is that Leicester were a counter-attacking team. They were set up that way, and he was to be out there waiting for the pass. And City are not a counter-attacking team. City are an attacking team, and it's a big uh, transition when you're moving between a team that plays mostly defensively, waiting for their chance, compared to a team that is pretty much all out possession and attack. Would you agree with that? I can see exactly, I don't know who said it, but I can see exactly where they're coming from. And there is that slight transition. But I'd also say this guy's got quality, and he's got quality to burn. You know, and we, we all saw that at Leicester. Although they were a counter-attacking team, he was the player that was able to beat one, beat two, and get the strike off, which was sometimes what we need in these tight games. You know, somebody can just unlock that little bit of a defence and get a shot off, and whether it goes in or Aguero got, or Gabby Jesus gets up on the, on the rebound, provides something different to what we had before. You know, give him a run out for a few games. Let's just see where, where the chips fall with him. But give him the opportunity and give him the chance. And people are so, so quick to judge. Bet you couldn't find anybody who said now that you thought David Silva would struggle after six weeks at City. Oh, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I remember people saying And I remember people at City saying that as well. You know, is this guy a bit lightweight? He played a European game and I thought he was wonderful. And I was thinking, don't be so quick to judge. If we're sat here in January having the same discussion, then we might have problems. But it took a while for Bernardo Silva to get started as well, didn't it? And Leroy. I think Pep's got that many things going on. Anybody who lands into a Pep system is going to be... Overwhelmed is the only word I can say. I've been there sometimes at work and I've gone into a meeting and people tell you 10, 15, 20 different things and new objectives and new strategies and new policies. And you come out and your head's bouncing. But three months down the line, you're there and you're applying the new policies, you're applying the new objectives and you're doing things and it becomes second nature to you. And, you know, that's not for anybody. The first day at work, you're like, what? But it takes that bit of time. And this is only new policies. This isn't Pep. Probably telling him three, four hundred different things all at once. You know how excitable he is. And... When I look at a lot of the new players and this time to adapt, I'm never, ever quick to rush or judge on them. So, Walter, are you going to go for two strikers or one striker? Oh, I'm going to go for two, aren't we? We want to, we want to go first. So I'll go for Gabby J and Aguero. That's my start at 11 anyway. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Gabby J? How do you feel he complements Sergio Aguero? He provides something completely different. Gabby J is... The problem with a lot of City fans have is he's not Aguero. And he's not Aguero, and he'll never be Aguero. But he's a provides something else. The thing with Gabby J is he could be having oh, a dog dinner of a game, and he's still there in the 90th minute, absolutely busting the gut. As long as he's giving that 100%, you know, it works more often than not. I like the fact that we've got the two up front. It provides questions for the defence. And if you've got Aguero, you know, you're there in your mind and you're thinking, Matt, I've got Aguero running this way. And then you look over at Gabby Jesus and then you look over at Mahrez, the you know, former PFA player in. And then you look, you, know, you look over at Sterling cutting in and then you turn round and you can see Mendy flying down the wing ready for a cross. And then you look up the pitch and you think, hang on a minute, there's David Silva. Oh, for the love. You know, you just be... When I spoke about being overwhelmed, what defender is going to enjoy that kind of puzzle, that conundrum to solve on a Saturday afternoon? Do you think Gabby J will ever be a prolific striker, Walter? Do you see him as replacing Aguero when Aguero eventually moves on into the Argentinian sunset? Oh, you know how to break a man's heart. This, he's going to be with us forever. Um... <laughs> I'm not overly sure. I mean, when he came in, he was prolific. And you often wonder, he's had a couple of injuries. And does he need to find that rhythm? And then, you know, he's not. He, he's been at Brazil with the summer. 
Or then, you know, on the on the flip side of that, do you think defenders have studied videos and sussed him out a little bit? Um, I, I, he's not going to be another Aguero, but he provides a vital role. And what he will be is a foil to uh, an Mbappé-type striker who may come in, because the person who's got, you're going to have to buy to replace Aguero mm. is going to have to be amazing. And the, as I've said before, the, the idea of Gabby Jesus, there is not a team on the planet that wouldn't take Gabby J and have him in their squad. Mm-hmm. One player, I guess, that we still haven't mentioned in our, in our hoped-for eleven against Fulham is... Fernandinho, of course. What do you think about him? Do you think he'll be? You think he'll be nicely rested because obviously he didn't have any uh, need to play for Brazil in in the break. He he wasn't included in Chichi's new look Brazil squad. I don't know what the reason for that was. Probably just to to experiment with new formations post World Cup. You're optimistic about Fernandinho's level of form and fitness so far. The only thing that worries me about him, as well as a couple, really, is not getting any younger whatsoever. Um, None of us are, Walter. None of us are. (laughs) I feel like Peter Pan sometimes after five pints on a Saturday night. But Sunday morning, I feel like an OAP. Again, we were talking about the first name on the team sheet, and he's the first outfield player on the team sheet for me. He provides so much for us. And when he's cooking with gas, the team's cooking with gas. Uh, I know you love your Game of Thrones references, and he always reminds me of one of the Unsullied. Just the the look of him. Um, He's he's an absolute spitting image, isn't he? uh, Well, there's Uh, him and Fernando, and you can almost, you will not pass, sort of. uh, Yeah, this is the the character called Grey Worm, who's the leader of the Unsullied. Yeah. (laughs) So, Fernandinho, for us, has been phenomenal. And again, when I talk about we've got uh, world superstars, and he wouldn't get into any World Eleven. This is somebody who goes to the games and watches him week in, week out, and can appreciate what he does. As I said, he's the first name on the team sheet. He's the oil that greases the engine, and he provides the platform for De Bruyne and Silva to do what they need to do. But um, I'm worried for a few reasons. Number one, we've not got that adequate replacement. So if he went down, that would be the biggest drop-off in our in our squad. Number two, 34? Yeah, yeah. Number three, he's, not, he's been in Brazil and he's not had that pre-season and that, that rest the, without the the quality sort of substitute to replace him, I hope he doesn't get burnt out this season. So okay. he's my biggest concern in the squad, and I think that's why we went for Jorginho. Okay, Walter, so that sounds like a perfect lineup. but let's imagine that things aren't going to plan or there's time for a change. Who are you bring off the, the bench in the, in the second half if you want to mix things up? Any chance of Phil Foden? No. We forget how young he is, you know. You've got all these players coming through at other clubs who are 21-22. His star has just shone so brightly that people put his name into the mix. I would bring Phil Foden on if he were 3-0 up. Right. I guess his best chance is going to be against Oxford United, maybe, in the Carabao Cup. Well, yeah, you know. And, and why not? It's just a bit of game time. And I'd have him on the bench. 3-0 up. Right, Phil. Or get your boots on. Get warmed up. You're going on. We're bringing him on to dig us out of a hole. Well, then there's a shortage in our squad. Now, Walter, Fulham are uh, not... They don't have a reputation the same as Newcastle. How do you think they will try to play against us? Will they go all-out defensive, or will they try to to come out and, and play a bit more expansive? How, do you, how would you guess they might go about it? Of course, they've got good players. They've got Schurle, I, I think, and they've got Ryan Sessignon, who everyone is lauding as uh, one of the players of the future. He's um, a rampaging left-back. How do you think Fulham might... What, what might their strategy be? If I were a team of Fulham's capabilities, I had to have a go at City and think, right, I've got to try and get something from the game. The one team 
to sort of try and have a look at. And I think they were lucky with what they got in Wolves mm-hmm. and the way they set up and they pressed at a certain height and then they tried to break us and they tried to win the ball back high up like City try and tend to do mm-hmm. and to try and force the, the quick sort of change of play in their favour. As far as I was concerned, Wolves were lucky with what they got. They played well, but they played better than most teams do down the lower half of the of the table against us. And at the time, I, you know, I, was, I wasn't happy with the result. Well, in the grander scheme of things, you know, you have to applaud how the other team plays. And you know, people were saying it's a blueprint. Well, I'm afraid it's not really a blueprint because we hit the woodwork that many times, and we had so many so many um, attacks but what did concern me was the fact that Wolves got so many attacks on our goal they probably had more attacks on our goal than the other three teams we played combined mm-hmm. and that would be if I was a manager I'd be ringing up Wolves I'd be asking them for the tape of the game and not just the tape that you see on the telly I'd be looking at the patterns of play tape you know every team does it where they record almost like a camera on the top of the stand downwards about positional play and positional sense. So I, I'd go I'd go at it like that and you know, you keep your fingers crossed that you get a, a jammy goal that's offside and handball and you'd sit at the woodwork a few times because that's <laughs> your best hope. Well good luck with that to them. One thing you can be sure of is that Pep and his team of analysts will have been studying Fulham's every move. That's something that didn't really happen under Pellegrini for us. Uh, you never got the feeling that Pellegrini had, you know, really analysed the opposition. He was so uh, confident in in Plan A. But Pep will have studied everything that Fulham have done right up to now. So I'm going to ask you to stick your neck out, Walter. Score prediction? 4-0 City. 4-0 City. Okay, well, I, I, I'm on board with that. I've got to say something different. So I'm going to say 5-1. How about that? 5-1. I think <laughs> if you can't be confident as a City fan now, when could you be? You know what I mean? It's, and people will say, oh, that's arrogant. You know, if you predict the past, if you predict the future, you look at the past. And if you look at last season, you know, we were that good under our manager. And we were, we've got the exact same points now as we did this time last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not saying we're going <laughs> to achieve that 100 points because I don't think we will. But You've got to be confident going into games. Walter, there's a nice little piece in the Manchester Evening News about Brian Kidd, and uh, he's uh, talking about his role at City. The, the, I think the headline of the article is that he is considered to be indispensable. I've always wondered about this, Walter. You know, t- Pep has got this uh, team of technicians with him. How do you think Brian Kidd fits into that uh, a lot of people are, are wondering, how, you know, does he really have much of a role to play? He puts the cones out every single week. <laughs> I know, that's what that's what, that's what what people joke about. But do you think that uh, there's more to it than that? Yeah, of course there is. I mean, I can imagine Pep and Brian would have had discussions after the first season or during that first season when things didn't quite go to Pep's way. And if he had to speak to someone, and I know Pep would have watched the videos, etc., etc., but Brian, just we should just call him Sir Brian, shouldn't we? Sir Brian would have uh, been able to give him an inside line on, you know, the setups and the attitude of certain teams and, you know, the strengths, the weaknesses of um, certain teams as well within the Premier League because uh, you can get so much by watching videos but you can't watch every single team all the time and I think Brian would have been able to provide that kind of insight to Pep so that was after during that first season and he must be I mean he always comes across as such a lovely fella and I just remember my favourite ever picture of Brian Kidd was I think they were getting off on a pre-season tour in Iceland and there he was. You know, you can see them all with the Beats headphones and the designer bags and all that. And he just had a carrier bag with, from W.H. Smith with his magazine and paper in. And I just thought, that is Sir Brian down to the ground. Just a lovely salt-of-the-earth Mancunian. 
One other little item in the news concerns Adrian Rabio that plays for PSG. Um, his contract, I think, is up. He's been uh, angling for a bit of a move, probably the agent. And uh, Man City and various other top six teams have been uh, placed in the frame. And apparently there were reports that Pep had talked to Rabio. He had been, way back when, he had been a member of our academy and actually yeah. a, a number of academies. What do you think? Is he a prospect for, for City? It's quite difficult to, for me to say a great deal on him because the amount of uh, French first-team football or French first-division football available on UK TV is minimal. And I wouldn't like to be making bold claims or bold sort of predictions about a player that I'd never seen. And again, that just shows, me, is it the agent? Is he keen? Any young player, and if I was a young player, and I had the opportunity to work with any manager in the world, Pep would be my number one. If, you want, if you're a young player and you want to improve and you want to get your Ballon d'Ors or you want to be make the most money that you can make throughout a career, if you go and play for Pep for a bit, then you improve and learn from him and learn from that environment. And if you then want to move on in four or five years' time... If you've been good enough to be in a pet team for four or five years and you've learned from him, you can write your own check. Okay, so I think we've discussed pretty much everything that I can see uh, in the news about City so far. Is there anything else, Walter, that has uh, struck your eye or anything that you've been thinking about during the break? It was annoying me today. Uh, I looked at the BBC and they were on about um, empty seats. Oh, that old chestnut. Um, <laughs> oh, no, but the BBC have run with it today. I, I've got strong feelings about that. If you look at austerity Britain, there's so many people struggling to skip a roof over the head. Food banks are, are on the rise in Britain. Homelessness is on the rise. And people point at empty seats, which are expensive, and try and beat a northern team, because we're not filling the ground, I find it absolutely revolting and disgusting. Mm. You know, you look at the wider picture. Look how society as a whole is struggling. You know, there's more people going to the wall financially. And this is where I think a club like City could just PR goal. The goal's there. It's in front of you. The ball's on the penalty spot. The goalkeeper is having a cigarette and a brandy in the corner flag over there. The defenders are all on the central line and you just need to knock the ball in the net. And there's not been a club like City who have scored this PR goal yet. We could drop prices. I mean, the amount of revenue that's created in the ground and let's get this right. If you're offering low, you're offering low prices. Full stop. You could then fill. We could do another extension. And if you're offering the German prices, the ten pounds, people are going to come to your game, but they're also going to spend at your game. They're going to have a pint. They're going to have a pint because the season, the ticket is so reasonable. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ian Cheeseman disappointed me the other day when he um, looked at the Newcastle end, and he was like. Ooh, there's a lot of empty seats there. And I'm thinking, number one, they've got Mike Ashley as an owner, and people are protesting about that. Number two, Newcastle getting hit very hard as well. And I just find it... And I don't think he meant it to be mean in any way, shape or form, by the way. I just think it was a clumsy remark about something for me, which I think's getting lost. Knock the prices down, fill the stadiums, do the expansions, and earn the money other ways. You know, you could sign that off with one one sponsorship deal could supplement the whole... I mean, and I'm not on about a big sponsorship deal. You know, it's a sponsorship deal of... I mean, we've got a bridge sponsorship deal, you know, with a bridge linking the uh, Miniad and the Etihad. It wouldn't be overly difficult. I mean, United have got tractors sponsored somewhere in the world. So I just find if we could get the sponsorship deals in, 
get the the stadium expanded and fill it full of cheap tickets and let the people spend. I know I'm going, went off on one then, didn't I, Mike? But it's something <laughs> I feel quite passionately about. Absolutely. And, Walter, how do you feel about safe standing? This is another thing that people have been talking about. Is that something you'd like to see? Those rail seats like they have in the in the great Dortmund yellow wall that is so popular over there. How do you think that would go down? Are you in favour of that? To be honest with you, I'd like to see it trialled. Uh-huh. And if you trial it and things work, then you expand it as your fan. Each, each, each club would have a different amount of fans that wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are happy sat down. I know if I'm stood up for two and a half hours because I'm a tall bloke my back starts to give me a bit of jip but um, trial it see if it works if it's popular these are businesses at the end of the day and they're all fighting there's only so many football fans and we're fighting over them so many football fans that will go to games and spend money and we're fighting over them and so you've got to provide something unique that will open up you know, if, if you've got a kid in Manchester and it's dirt cheap then to go to City and it's easy access, I'm not saying you can pay on the gate like you used to, but you can certainly buy a ticket that was a week before or, you know, and you don't have to sign up for a membership fee. You know, you, this is it's easy and it's accessible. If you're a kid in Manchester and your mates are into football in the playground and your dad's not really that bothered, can I, and he's like, I, I want to go to a football game. Well, do you want City or United? Well, the dad's going to look at the prices at City and you know which way he's going to sway him if mm. he drops all the prices. So, mm. it's um, PR goal, man. City, just knock the ball in and, you know, make so many people happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walter, we've got a lot of Korean English-speaking fans that listen to the show. They don't obviously get the chance to have the match day experience. We've talked about ticket prices. We've talked about safe standing and things like that. As a match-going City fan, is there anything else about the match day experience that that you like or dislike? I don't know if you've ever gone there early enough to get involved with all of that City Square stuff where they put up the stage and they have guests and things like that. What do you think of all that? Is there anything else about the match day experience that, that strikes you? Well, yeah, it's... Um... For me, that's not my thing, mm. but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the guy who's looking at his watch. I've got just ta- just. I think I've got time for another. I've got time for another. I've got time for another. <laughs> right, I'll have you know, and I'll have another pint, and then get myself to the ground. Which that that's fine. Getting kids involved and getting them hooked on football. You know, if you've got bands there, if you've got like they've got the PlayStation, they can play the games. You know, what, whatever it takes, whatever the worm on the hook is to get the kids in and to get youngsters in and to get people from all over in, that's what you use, you know. And it's, you do have some decent bands on there, you know. I remember going and telling my daughter that I'd seen the 1975 and she's no interest in football, but bloody hell, her face was just pure envy. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your dad's on the 1975 tonight, yeah. But they're, they're all right. And that would be something that she'd go, I wish I'd gone. Yeah. But you don't like football, but I wish I'd gone now. You know, it would be worth going to the football just to sort of see them and come in with you and, you know, listen to your nonsense for 90 minutes. But football's moved on, and especially in the last 10 years with the invention of YouTube. I mean, football YouTube and Arsenal Fan TV and... You know, Man, Blue Moon Rising TV Man and City Man Fan City TV. TV. <laughs> Man City Fan TV. Yeah, of course. And they did that wonderful thing about the, the lad in India. And I just thought, in Manchester, we live in a small bubble. We can live in this small bubble. And that's their world. And, you know, Manchester City and Manchester is our world. But, you know, there's people that see it from afar. And there's Premier League is shown all over the world. And I'd much rather a City fan from Dubai or Goa than another United fan. So it's it all sort of feeds in. And City want to be this world club. This is the future. The future is, you know, someone in South Korea, someone in 
it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Someone in Canada, someone in Brazil, so oh, all feeling accessible. And that's why City went out and do you remember they did the Centurions thing and they went all over the planet to yeah. all the countries where all the stars were from. Yeah, yeah. That was a great PR move. Because if you're there in Argentina and you're seeing Aguero up on this thing with his city kit on, you're thinking, right, there's something in that. You know, and whatever the hook that gets you in. And the world's completely different now. We're not all wearing flat caps and 40,000 of us are turning up at a ground. <laughs> and, you know, cheering them on. You know, we work till 12 o'clock on a Saturday and then we knock off, have three or four pints, go to the game, have fish and chips supper on the way home. It's completely different. And as a fan base, to make yourself richer and just broader-minded, you, you, you embrace this rather than shutting it down. Well, that's an absolutely monster discussion. I thought this was going to be uh, just a little podlet, a midweek taster <laughs> for the real thing, well, but uh, Walter and I have gone off on one, guys. And uh, Well, let, let me know. I mean, is anybody listening? Honestly, there's something you vehemently disagree with or there's something you really agree with. You know, at Man City Smith on Twitter, just let me know. And if you've got any further questions, you know, throw it to the bolt from a blue. But, you know, if there's something specifically about what I was speaking about tonight, send it to me also, or either way, it'll get to me. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in what what you guys think. You know, you're listening to this, and some of you will be sat there going, oh, he's chafed nonsense for the last five minutes. And some people <laughs> might be banging the table going, yes, I agree with that. <laughs> and I hope there's more of you out there that are, but, you know, it, it's, it was such a broad church anyway. You know, we've got so many different opinions, and but we're all here for the, the one true love of Manchester City. Fantastic. Well, guys, I think we'll wrap it up there. We'll be back after the game at Fulham. We may or may not have a surprise guest thrown in there, but we'll 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 just hold fire on that. These things uh, sometimes happen, and they they sometimes don't happen. But we'll see if we can do that for you. Okay, so as Walter mentioned, he's on Twitter at Man City Smith. I'm there too at Bolt from the Blue. So until we talk to you again, guys, drink it in, have one on us with the toast of Up the Blues. Oh, yes. Oh. 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 Oh.